Blog Talk Radio. This is all about wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235. And let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Plus people, thanks. Beautiful weather. Beautiful weather here in Florida. Uh, this week in this area, anyway. Uh, raining in some parts, but here, gorgeous. We're getting highs of high run. 90 and lows in the upper 60s. It just goes no rains or anything. We're supposed to get rain next week, but right now it is beautiful weather. You don't hear Mike in the background because Mike's not with us tonight. Mike is, well, he's not under the weather. Mike has a herniated disc and he is down for the count. Um, <laughs> he's got therapist scheduled been out of work for a couple of weeks. He's on his back most of the time. It pains him to do just about everything. If you've ever had any of that stuff wrong with you, uh, herniated disc, sciatic, any of that, you know how bloody painful it can be. Uh, and so he is out of commission for right now. Starts therapy and maybe he'll be back with us next week. He suffered through last week, but couldn't do it this week. So he's not with us this week, but we got some stuff to talk about, things to tell you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start doing some trivia, too. I'm going to start throwing the little trivia bits and pieces out to you just for eh, fun. So we will do that. First, let's do, like we always do, start out what's coming up this week on food. Again, this is National Barbecue Month, so keep that in mind at any time. You can crank up the barbecue grill. Uh, but Charcoals. People swear by charcoals. People swear by uh, gas. I, I have a gas grill because it's easy and convenient. And if I want to barbecue, I don't take the time to stack the charcoal briquettes and all that good stuff. So, And it's time-consuming you know, to get it to the right temperature and right flame and all. So I have gas, but that doesn't mean I don't enjoy the charcoals if I have the time. But National Barbecue Month, so keep that in mind all month long. Tomorrow, National Eat What You Want Day. All right. What a cool holiday. Uh, grab anything you want. Eat anything you want. Do anything you want as far as food and wine. Because if you're going to eat what you want, you might start with pairing the wine and then finding the food that goes with it instead of the other way around, considering it's Eat What You Want Day. Saturday, National Nutty Fudge Day. Bring out your Cabernet Sauvignon and have yourself some good fudge and some good Cabernet Sauvignon or even Pinot Noir or Zimadol or Merlot or Barberry. You can go on and just start naming all the reds. Um, chocolate red always goes good. Sunday, Mother's Day. If you haven't got reservations for a restaurant by now, you're not going to get them. So just accept, accept that. Uh, take her out Saturday night and get her some Fudge for dessert. Also Sunday's National Apple Pie Day. So mom and apple pie. Can't ask for more than that on one day. And then get mom her favorite wine, whatever it might be, a Chardonnay, a Moscato even, uh, whatever. And you've got a Monday. Starts American Craft Beer Week. I know we're all about wine, but craft beer is still up there booming and all that. So, uh, Monday starts National Craft Beer Week, so you can check out some craft breweries next week. Monday's also National 
Buttermilk Biscuit Day. Now, don't get that confused with the 29th of this month, which is going to be National Biscuit Day. So, Monday, National Buttermilk Biscuit, 29th National Biscuit. Hey, I'm a biscuit fan. Pour some white gravy over it and I'll eat it all day. Tuesday, National Chocolate Chip Day. If I still made my plantation of spice wine, there would be the great combination. But alas, sorry to say, I don't. And then, coming up next Wednesday, and I mentioned this at the beginning, National Barbecue Month, the 16th is National Barbecue Day. So we got a double whammy there. So get out the brisket, get out the ribs, get out the hamburgers, hot dogs, uh, chicken, whatever you like to throw on the grill. Throw it on the grill. I have a cousin who uh, puts on pineapple, slices pineapple in uh, big sections and sprinkles it with some cinnamon and throws it on the grill. Uh, He gave me the recipe. I did it also. Fantastic. So uh, something to try there if you're doing, or any type of vegetables or any type of uh, people are putting fruit on the grills now and stuff like that. There's lots of stuff that they're doing. You can just look up all sorts of recipes on grilling and find just a bunch of stuff. Some of it I look at and I go, oh, come on now. you got to be serious. You're really going to grill that? But they do. And then coming up next Thursday, before the program, the 17th National Cherry Cobbler Day. So you can get yourself a cherry cobbler and sit down with us and listen to the program. So that's what's coming up this next week in our Food Pert with Wine segment. We have, uh, as always, different things to talk to you about. Uh, don't have my cure to look up stuff for me if I need something looked up. That's okay. You know, I, uh, I'll try not to get myself stuck into a situation where I have to have something looked up. I got a bunch of trivia I'm going to start throwing out at you here. Little bits and pieces, nothing in, nothing um, long or hard or anything. I just found a, myself a stack of trivia that I used to use when I was writing the newsletter for work uh, for the winery. And I used to use these trivia pieces because I was always looking for something to throw in the and the newsletter, and everyone's wide come out with this stack of stuff here. So I'm going to start sharing this with you. And, uh, yeah, it's all just, you know, for fun. White, what white grape makes our ages? Wow, why can't I read it? Jeez. What white grape ages best? You might think Chardonnay, but, ah, you would be wrong. Riesling. In general, for a white wine to age well, it must have uh, fruit and alcohol and a lot of acidity uh, if you're looking for something to age in white wines. And the Riesling Fistabil. It's uh, German or Alsace Rieslings in particular have the ability to uh, age and become much more complex uh, for many years. Uh, They uh, become... um, a honey flavor. They they turn a honey color, and it is just a great, great way to uh, enjoy an aged white wine, a Riesling. So uh, keep that in mind. Most people wouldn't consider Riesling. They immediately start jumping into. Uh, uh, well, this pen doesn't work. There it goes. Um, immediately start jumping into Chardonnay, but uh, best one reasoning. Another bit, fat. You may not want to be fat, but as far as wine is concerned, being fat is generally considered a pretty good thing. Wine pros use the word to describe the plump texture of a full-bodied wine with saturated fruit. It's good to be fat, but not flabby. A flabby wine is a wine with so little acidity that it seems to be just a, a blob of liquid. There's no definition, no uh, um, character. So, fat, good, flabby, bad. 
let's go on to another another one here. I think if I can turn the page. Uh, oh, the typical wine drinker, are you? According to the U.S. Wine Demographic Report by the consulting research firm Amato, Kryla, and Fisher, the typical wine drinker in this country is a married white woman in her 40s who lives in the Northeast or on the Pacific Coast. White wine is her beverage of choice, and she prefers to drink her wine at home, probably with dinner. She has got a college education, and her household income is higher than the national average. A typical wine drinker. And yeah, that's always always fun to, to consider what is the typical. I mean, yeah, they do their surveys and they do their stuff and everything. They say, you know, that's a typical, but who really knows? With the millennials all in there now, I don't know if we can really say there's a typical anymore. And there we go. Merlot. Let's tell you a little bit about Merlot. Just a brief description. You probably know this, but this, you know, might throw out something here that you didn't. Colors red, obviously. The scoop on Merlot. Although many wine lovers assume Cabernet Sauvignon is a leading red grape in Bordeaux, it's not. The Merlot is. Uh, Merlot name means little black bird, for those of you who have been curious about that. It's almost always blended with Cab, although you can find a lot of Merlots by itself now that aren't blended. Um, it uh, has uh, good aromas, flavors, textures, and uh, a good share of tannin. If you get yourself a Merlot, a straight Merlot, you, you're going to get the tannins on the thing. Uh, where am I? The conventional wisdom is that Merlot is somehow softer than Cabernet. It has been a good PR for the Merlot growers and makers, but in reality, it's not true. Um, it's as far as tannin goes, Merlot and Cabernet pretty much run the same. Uh, most people think Cab is the leading one. A Merlot, you're going to get flavors of baked cherries, blackberries, cassis, chocolate, cocoa, mocha, plums, and even leather. And some of those will come from the oak aging too. Uh, where you get Merlot? Bordeaux, obviously. Merlot is ultra popular in the United States, where it's specialized grapes in Washington State and New York State, uh, particularly Long Island. Uh, if you haven't had Merlot from either one of those, definitely give it a try. They're putting out some great Merlots in those two. So, all right, uh, enough trivia for the moment. We'll do some more before the show's out. Got a couple things to talk to you about, though. Let me find the first one here. And we'll go down here to this. And we click on this. And we go down to this. And is that what I want? Huh. Okay. Uh. Okay, here we go. Uh, I checked this out earlier. And here. Uh, Melbeck. Melbeck grape constitutes 62% of Argentina's wine exports. If you're not getting Melbeck from Argentina, you are depriving your palate of a party. Without question. Melbeck out of Argentina is phenomenal. They do a great job, and it's rather inexpensive. Uh, most popular great variety Melbeck is 62% of the South American country totals uh, for the wine exports to 127 different countries. Uh, major representatives of the Argentina wine sector I met in Buenos Aires uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about... Uh, Melbeck and how it has exploded on the Argentinian scene. Production of Melbeck now reaches 40,401 hectares. 
and its production in 2017 was 30 or 300 million liters. That's a lot, people. Uh, the uh, good example of how the wine has taken over uh, the plantings is uh, the Melbourne grape that has uh, a great genetic diversity. It was first introduced to Argentina back in 1853. It's 1853. And it revolutionized the wine industry in that country. Um, it is uh, grown along with other grapes, but uh, basically the big one. Uh, you can find it just about everywhere in the stores. Argentina and Malbec is out there all over the place. So check out an Argentina and Malbec. You, 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 actually, you can't go wrong. Uh, and let's see, what is this? I think this is a little bit more about that. Let's pull this up. Oh, no. Four new ways to drink Malbec. If you're... Uh, it, it, Malbec originally came from the Cahors, France, uh, when you look at the, but it was transplanted to Mendoza by uh, the French in 1852. And it has uh, adopted well to the Argentinian climate and latitude. Uh, different ways to have Melbach. You don't. You're not just stuck with Melbach as a as a wine, although it is delicious that way. You can make Melbach gin. Uh, Rolando Hilbing, Argentina's first master distiller, picked up a bronze medal for his London Dry Gin and Austria's. Distillata 2018 Distilling Contest. A gin that has Melbeck at its core. Uh, a new, uh, new approach. He, again, won a medal for it. Uh, it says the family has been intimately involved with Melbeck uh, development in Mendoza for centuries. Great great grandfather co founded the province's famous farms and the grandfather planted the first 400 hectare vineyard dedicated to Malbec. So it is uh, in the family for a long time. But a Hilbing London Dry Gin, uh, Mendoza, Argentina, made with Malbec grapes. Uh, so you can, if you want to try that, it's around 20 bucks uh, uh, if you find it. It's around 20 bucks now. If uh, I, Let's see, it's very select markets in the United States, so it's not real popular. You have to look for it. Melbeck Port. Here's something else that you can try. Uh, back in 1990, Maria Zucardi uh, sent a team of phenologists to seek inspiration from Portugal's Juro Valley, and they returned with to Mendoza to create a Melbeck Port style wine. The first one was in 2000 and they said the wine is made exclusively from Malbec that's fermented for 10 days to reach 120 grams of residual sugar and 18% alcohol. Then it's aged for two more years in French oak barrels. It sets up quite nicely with a nut and spiciness and it also presents some dry dark fruit characteristics. Uh, available across the United States it is uh, worth a try. $19 price tag, which is a good price for a port. And if it's presenting itself that well, that is a very good price for a port. Melbeck Vermouth is another way you can enjoy Melbeck. If you're having a martini, there's your there's your vermouth for it. And you know, I've never been a vermouth fan. I, I just... I don't know. Just never acquired a taste for a vermouth. Good martini every once in a while? Hey, I'm great with that. But just vermouth. I I worked for many years in a wine store, and people would get vermouth all the time, and I just can never never understand that. But uh, the uh, vermouth, V-E-R-M-U, as it's called in Argentina, as vermouth is called there. It's uh, very popular throughout Argentina, and it is now available in the United States. Uh, a very 
uh, botanical flavors and taste. Uh, orange, lemon peels, uh, sage, elderberry, stuff like that that's uh, going to come out and present itself. So vermouth, it is available, uh, from my understanding, uh, uh, throughout the United States. So vermouth, uh, La, La Fruza, La Fruza, I don't know how, La, La Fruza. The fruits, I don't know. Well, uh, so, and then your last one here, Melbeck Grappa. Or Grappa, Grappa, sorry. It's, um, if you've never had Grappa, it's, it's high alcohol. It's good, actually. It's usually uh, uh, 40% alcohol or around there. It is, uh, I I don't know. It's hard to describe grappa. Uh, it's small lots from the Temecula Valley of Southern California um, makes the the thing, but uh, it also happens to have an Argentinian collection, a connection, because of the uh, people who make it uh, spent time and were from Argentina. Uh, it's Argentinian family, and it was uh, when they moved to the Temecula, they planted Malbec. And they decided to make the grappa. Uh, back in 1994 in Orange County, when it first uh, came out, uh, it was uh, one of the first wines out of the uh, Dofo uh, region. Melbeck, they're saying here, Melbeck grappa brandy. Uh, it's uh, it's available Dofo D O F F O. 375 milliliters uh, retails for forty nine dollars. Uh, slight Melbeck grape flavors, a little bit of nuttiness, uh, dry tannins, uh, very smooth, they say, and easy to drink, even though it's 80 proof or 40% alcohol. So there's uh, some things you can do with Melbeck, some different ones you can try. If you like the Melbeck grape, and it is a great grape, and I do suggest you get yourself some nice Melbeck wine from Argentina, Look for other types of ways to enjoy that Melbeck because there are a lot of different ones out there. So, all right, let's see. A smoke, smoke taint. That's just one we need to talk about a little bit. The, the, the smoke taint's still a problem in California. And even though the fires have gone and things are pretty well recovered and they're saying it's not bad at all. It's still, you, you got some smoke taint in the 2017 vintage. And it's, sad thing about it is it doesn't go away. You you can't just say, okay, it's in the, it's in the barrels now and we're going to not have to worry about it. Uh, uh, Rob McMillan a Napa-based executive vice president and founder of the Silicon Valley Bank Wine Division, states, in my decades of experience in the wine business, I've never seen a fire year like the past one. Nobody has seen a year like 2017 when it comes to fires. As a result, 2017 has become a learning year for everyone in the wine community. The potential smoke taint on the small percentage of grapes left on the vines through mid-October has uh, been a delicate situation. There's, uh, I read somewhere where there was a uh, grower was suing some wineries because they refused their grapes because they said it was smoke taint in it, which you really can't tell, you know, so that's why they're suing. Excuse me. You have a contract? Buy my grapes? No, they're full of smoke tank. So, I don't know. The bulk of them, she also knows, uh, to change the note, the bulk of the grapes, 90% of them had been harvested before the fires. So it's not like it's going to be a major, major problem. Most of them were already harvested in quite a few in the barrels and stuff before the fires went through. But when it's close to smoke, Smoke-related compounds uh, come out. Uh, not all grapes harvested in smoke will produce smoke-affected wines. But 
in spite of University of Davis doing their experiments and everything else, there are still a lot of them, wines made from fruit that was given by wineries that chose not to use their fruit to make wine, are showing signs of smoke tank characteristics by the taste. Some late harvest, like the Cabernet Sauvignon late harvest coming out of uh, Sonoma. Uh, they're saying prefer not to make wine with that because it could have fire damage and smoke taint. So they are cautioning on uh, the side of not putting it out there. Uh, the type of smoke tank testing technology at the UC Davis is able to do and uh, Oregon Wine Research Institute at Oregon State University's Food Science and Technology Facilities, that's in Corvallis, Oregon, says we don't know ex the exact compounds that produce smoke taint. However, there is a 70% success rate in diagnosing it in specific wines. Uh, Elizabeth Tomasino has uh, uh, been doing that. She said it's, it's possible to detect it. Uh, It's uh, a very cautious thing. Industry is being very cautious all up and down the coast now of Northern California because of the possibilities of smoke tank. They want to be um, more than cautious because of the fact that if it gets out there and the word starts getting out that a certain one is tainted, then it will go crazy because people will start looking for it in all wines. And that's just the way people are. We remember the scare from two or three years ago about arsenic in wine and how everybody started doing a little panic and, you know, oh my gosh, wines have arsenic and all that. When you start getting high-end wines, some of these that were affected and that were around the fire in Sonoma and Napa, then the possibilities of a smoke-tainted wine could cause people to be turned off by it or start looking for it when it's not there, which happens a lot, too, I'm afraid to say. So it is overall impact to the California wine industry cosmic smoke taint from October fire will not be meaningful. Basically, that's what they're saying. Uh, for individual wineries, it may be a different story, and only time will tell. Even individual wineries with small batches uh, that will be meaningfully impacted. And this is from uh, John Moramarco, a Napa-based editor for and a partner in the data analyst Gumberg and Fredrickson. So he should know what he's talking about. He's, basically, it should not be a major effect and the ones that think they are or might be a problem are holding them back, which, you know, you have to give them a thumbs up for the, for the caution there. Uh, cannabis, marijuana. I've talked about this over and over, and I've talked about this because of the legalized marijuana that is on the West Coast of the United States, California, Oregon, Washington, and that's where we get a lot of our good wines. Uh, a lot of wines, I say good, and it's not fair to a lot of others, but that's where we get a lot of our wines. And it's all over the United States and all. Is cannabis cutting into the alcohol industry? Now, according to an April report by the New York City-based Rabobank, they stated, quote, existing research does indicate that rising marijuana use will negatively affect the growth of beverage alcohol. Okay. You know, uh, and this is one of the reasons women say they're planning on using more marijuana when it's legal. And I just read you that thing that women are, 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 primary drinker? How did I word that? Let me look back on this. I don't want to word it wrong. Typical drinker. Women are the typical drinker, and if they're saying they're going to try 
marijuana instead of wine, that could make a difference. Cannabis is health conscious appeal. Uh, it's calorie free. It looks at more of a healthy lifestyle product as opposed to wine. And uh, it's uh, going to make an effect. It's going to going to cause a problem. Uh, the, the data, a closer look at the data, says that markets like California stand to lose more wine consumption as wine is currently consumed in higher quantities there than in other markets, such as New York or something. Second reason wine consumption might decline more in California is that the state is more advanced in cannabis legalization process. It could also mean that California moved faster on the legalization process because there is more consumer interest, so changes are a bit more pronounced. And the hardcore wine enthusiasts, or those that like wine because of how it reflects on their image status, suddenly replacing wine with cannabis. Uh, the move to replace wine with marijuana is more likely to happen at the end of the day with consumers who are using it to unwind. So, uh, may not be hardcore wine drinkers or hardcore wine enthusiasts uh, tend to buy wine at the $10 segment. But when it comes to the difference between wine and cannabis, cannabis might be a cheaper way to do it. You know, I I have not been to California, Oregon, Washington, any of the, what is it, 12 states now, I think it is, 12 states that, see, now this is where Mike come in, because he'd flip over and find that for me and let me know. But there are... I have not been to any of the states that have it legalized. And I've had I've talked to people who have been to states that have been to legalized states and they say you go in, it's like a store and you have everything laid out for you there and all that and you pick what you want. They also say it is quite expensive. When you're starting to get cannabis, then you're getting the little bits amount and all that. It can be quite expensive. But if you're looking at drinking wine just for the purpose of getting your high, uh, or as some people just uh, something like that, then it would balance out on your budget, if you will to buy cannabis as opposed to buying uh, a more expensive wine or something. Let's see, I had, well, I can't find it now, it's not here on this. I had something that I was looking at the other day about what states have legal marijuana and I can't find it right offhand. Oh well, um, not important. So, it is uh, it, it is it is affecting it. Let's see. Well, maybe this is it. Uh, nope. Okay, that's not it. Let me uh, let me back out of here and go to another site that talks more about this cannabis and how it's affecting it. Uh, this article says that legalized cannabis could devastate the wine industry. Now, that, I think, might be going a little bit too far, but according to this article, wealthy middle-aged women, the biggest wine-drinking demographic in the U.S., and that's why I just read a little bit ago, say their cannabis use would increase if the federal government legalized the drug. And it is being legalized in a lot of states. Uh, the uh, According to the beverage analysis, uh, Bacard Neeson at the Food and Agricultural Financial Services uh, said that this uh, marijuana is currently legal in nine states. Here we go. While Canada looks to legalize the drug in a number of states this summer, are a number of provinces, and Michigan will likely join them in the November ballot. 56% of baby boomers and 67% of those who earned over $50,000 said marijuana consumption would increase 
when it becomes legal. Um, also, 34% of the women noted that it will increase. Uh, is calorie-free? 79% of U.S. consumers believe it's safer than alcohol. And my engineer just toned in from the background saying it is. And finally, the states that legalize it also have wine, high wine consumption. So it's, it could affect that uh, strongly there. Uh, the drinks industry, however, is already innovating to respond to the upsurge in cannabis consumption. Uh, last December, Rebel Coast Winery in California launched the first cannabis-infused wine. Uh, it, re- it replaces the alcohol content of the wine with THC, which is the active ingredient in, uh, in the plant in marijuana. Uh, the drink promises to retain the complexities of wine while appealing to the cannabis enthusiast. Uh, ooh, I that could could be interesting. It could be expensive too, if I if you think about it. Uh, currently, there is no way to socially consume cannabis. The only ways you have are now are to smoke, but secondhand smoke is antisocial. Chocolates aren't really sociable in the same way as a beverage either. So, cannabis infused beer and wine then can make uh, the method of consuming marijuana acceptable and legal so you know it's I, I i keep seeing articles i keep seeing this stuff i keep reading it it's i, I want to say that the well i don't know i i, I want to say that it's out there i want to say that it's it's uh marijuana is going to take a toll on wine but then who knows? So, so uh, I don't know. It's one of those things that we'll just have to wait and see. Okay. Drought. After a brief relief across California and the country, drought. Forecasters indicate that uh, the drought's going to continue. Um all the way from Southern California to Central Kansas. The drought is rooted in a dry spell that began in October and is considered extreme from Southern California to Central Kansas. Conditions are even worse in the Four Corners region and the Oklahoma-Texas panhandles. Uh, the spigot has been shut off. The climologists at the National Drought Mitigation Center University of Michigan our University of Nebraska in Lincoln said drought isn't necessarily a single signal for wildfires, but it helps create the conditions. The month of October to April could be a recharge period with snows and showers and all that, and it did help areas, but most recent significant rain in the area came in early October. So since that time, it has little effect. There is very little snowpack remaining except on the highest peaks, which is always the problem. You want that snowpack going as long as you can. Uh, the uh, There's a sharp distinction on either side of a line from near Fort Worth, Texas to Chicago. Moist areas of Arkansas, Missouri were within 100 miles and arid conditions in Oklahoma and in Kansas and Oklahoma continue. Uh, normal participation would be helpful, but right now it's bad, dry air is contributing to the anomalies. Western Oklahoma has seen wild temperature swings. They've also seen some tornadoes that are starting to pop up now. Uh, not as bad as it has in the past, but uh, they've been pretty lucky. We've heard about a few tornadoes going through in uh, different areas, but nothing absolutely devastatingly serious um, and on April 17th in Alva, Oklahoma the temperature dropped down to 33 degrees with frost in the area uh, later that day the temperature jumped up to 101 so it's uh, that's the Alva's in the panhandle of Oklahoma by the way um, it, it's just it's 
Wildfires have scarred all sorts of areas around the country, Colorado, Kansas, New Mexico, Oklahoma, and Texas. And they're the latest fire that went through Oklahoma, the Rhea fire, has burned 448 square miles. So it's uh, continuing the drought. We may be talking more about a California drought yet again before the season is out because it's, well, the climate change is affecting the way the pattern is coming in. Chinese wine, another topic that not particularly a favorite, but something we can't ignore because it's there. Chinese wine. Uh, five things. Uh, China's one uh, is the biggest wine producer in the world now. They have planted um, over 850,000 uh, hectares. Yeah, over five eight hundred fifty thousand. They're looking at planting well over a million within the next year. Uh, the uh, where is the wine going? That's producing eighty percent of it is being consumed in China, and then the rest of it not going too far away, just in the surrounding areas. We're getting a little bit here in the states, but not much. It's uh, growing fast. Predicted to be the second largest wine market by the year twenty twenty which puts it just behind the United States. Uh, past decade, there's been a seismic shift in Asian wine markets. Uh, wine in Indian Japan has also seen an upward trajectory. China is by far leading the pact. It is, uh, it, it has exploded, and they're buying so much more coming from different areas. Red wine being the big one. 80% of all wine consumed in China is red. Uh, it's because it's a symbol of luck and prosperity. So therefore, and with the Chinese and uh, their symbols and all that stuff, it's red wine is the biggest of all. It's the fifth largest wine drinking nation overall. Cabernet Sauvignon widely planted throughout the country, as is Merlot and Carmenere. Uh, Carmenere, I've talked about before. I like Carmenere. Carmenere, I've talked about. Uh, it's being planted all over China. Good growing conditions and all that. Wish we were able to get more Chinese wines. That would be interesting. Probably not with the, with the impact is of uh, the imports and exports we're going China's been making wine for a long time. Uh, the history of great cultivation spans up to 3,000 years. Uh, they've uh, found some Vitus vinifera, which was first introduced to China from Central Asia in the Han Dynasty, which dates back between 206 BC and 220 AD. Um, during the Ming Dynasty, Italian monks established Catholic missions in China and planted European grape varieties. And then the real boom came at the end of the 19th century into the 20th century, where the uh, 1892 established uh, an enormous vineyard and wine growing region. Over 120 wine grape varieties are grown in China, everywhere from Germany, Austria, Spain, Italy, France. Uh, pretty much everything and anything can be grown in, in some part of China. It's so vast. I mean, that's understandable. And then females. Female millennials are actually the big wine consumers in China. More than half of the uh, women who are study abroad are women and they are big drinkers. Three most important drinks are uh, Beiju, I think that's how it's pronounced, a white grain spirit, which sets at around 52% ABV. Uh, Hangzhou, or yellow wine, which is another grain-based drink with an ABV alcohol by volume of 15 to 20%, and beer. Um, these are... Uh, very popular, but then uh, uh, wine is 
becoming the wine culture previously unimportant is becoming more and more and more of a market and female millennials are driving that market so China it just always amazes me when I start seeing statistics for China Uh, okay and let me look at this one here Million. Oh yes, that's what we're going to talk about. Three point four million dollars, million dollars, is being approved for research on Pierce disease and other grapevine viruses. Uh, University of uh, California Davis leading this research. Uh, they're doing transgenic rootstock to protect uh, PD from grapevines, and it's uh, working. They're doing uh, DNA construct, genetic PD resistance. That's also working. Uh, they have earmarked the majority of the $30.3 million has been allocated to PD and glassing sharpshooter research. So it is something that they are trying to... They need to do it, too. I mean, we never hear about it. We never talk about it. We never see too much about it or anything. But the reason is because they kept it pretty much under control. But again, let's go back to the warming of the climate. The areas that they've died off because of cold weathers and stuff is not happening. It's still warm. It's still a, a warm area, pretty warm in areas that used to be very cold throughout the winters and it would kill off PD or the glassy wing sharpshooter, not Pierce disease, kill off the bug, which was spreading the disease. But with the warming of areas now that used to be real cold, it's moving north. And this is an issue. This is a big issue. So they're checking into that to try to stop it. So it is working. There's also other things that they're working on. This $3.4 million fund is also looking at blotch-associated, a uh, red blotch-associated virus, grapevine leaf row viruses, and millibugs. Uh, these are all things that will affect grapes and grapevines. So uh, a lot of money has been allocated. The California Department of Food and Agriculture has approved this. It's not federal, it's uh, California Department of Food and Ag. And, oops, one more on that uh, that I wanted to talk about. Too. We talked about this off and on. The Canada pipeline controversy. Uh, this is <laughs> uh, Canada wine trade caught up in the pipe feud. Uh, the Supreme Court's ruling hindering growth of direct consumer shipments is a result of legal battle over oil pipeline. So, yeah, you, you go, what? Yeah, it's, it's what's happening up there. Uh, running battle over Kinder Morgan's Canada's plans to expand the Trans Mountain Pipeline to carry bitumen, bitumen uh, from the oil fields of North Alberta to ocean-going tankers in British Columbia has once again caught wineries in the crossfire. Uh, the Supreme Court of Canada handed down its decision on April 19th. Uh, this is the matter of Gerard Camus. Uh, he's from New Brunswick. who was arrested by federal police in 2012 as he returned from a run across provincial lines to pick up cheap beer and spirits in Quebec. But many saw it as a blow against the free movement of alcohol within Canada. The wording of the decision, not to mention its timing, suggests that the real target of the judgment wasn't the liquor industry, but the growing feud over the $6 billion pipeline project. The court was very consciously thinking about the pipeline dispute, uh, says Shaw Colson, who's the counsel for uh, the Coalition of Small BC Wineries. Paragraphs 110 and 111 use language that make it clear that the court is thinking about the pipeline as retaliatory measures taken about Alberta and proposed by Alberta because they explicitly use the word 
punish. <laughs> um, BC opposes the pipeline on grounds opposes the risk to the natural environment, especially coastal waters. While the province can't stop construction, which has federal approval, it can tightly regulate its operations. The strategy of BC outrages Alberta, as well as neighboring province of Saskatchewan. Oil is a significant industry for both of those, and the two have introduced legislation that would give them authority to cut fuel supplies to BC. This is where the decision came into play. The unanimous decision by the Supreme Court justices let restrictions on the movement of liquor under Section 121 of Canada's Constitution remain in place because the primary purpose of the law was to support local jurisdictions over liquor rather than restrict trade between the provinces. So, the interpretation means legislation in Alberta and Saskatchewan that cuts fuel supplies to B.C. would be illegal. Uh, (laughs) The tactic echoes Alberta's sentiment towards federal efforts to limit the province's control over energy supplies in the early 1990s. That's when the popular catchphrase seen on bumper stickers was, let the eastern bastards freeze to death, or freeze in the dark. Also means that Alberta's move in early December to halt imports of B.C. wine in response to B.C.'s pipeline concern was out of line. Uh, hope for uh, remains for direct consumer shipping, though. And uh, the clarification of the law is, uh, let's see, four-week public uh, consultation last fall yielded 500 submissions that will guide the group's recommendations for DTC, a direct-to-consumer. Hopefully, he's working close with the provinces and getting it so they can ship across state lines. Record-keeping reporting tools today make it much easier to comply with it than back in 2002 when the first shipments were beginning to go across province lines. While they welcome clarification of the Canada's constitution, it should be interpreted regarding the flow of goods between provinces and the recommendation of alcoholic beverage working groups and a taxing policy means wineries see the greatest margins at the cellar door sales. If Canada does this, the United States needs to look at this, too. This isn't an article. This is me editorializing, as I always do. If they can start opening up to ship to all the provinces, we need to open it up to ship to all the states. And let's put uh, uh, freethegrapes.org out of business. If you are not subscribing to freethegrapes.org, do so. I just got a couple of notices over this past week or so of a couple of states that uh, vote was coming up for direct-to-consumer and state-line shippings, or cross-state-line shippings, they encouraged people in those states to email the congressman. One of them passed. Uh, Freethegrapes.org said, hey, good job, everybody. You convinced it. The other one, I don't know the results of that. I haven't heard. But if you are not subscribed to freethegrapes.org, do so free f r e e d t h e grapes g r a p e s dot org. Go to that site, do it, subscribe, get newsletters. So, uh, back to this: people really want to get people to stay longer, spend more money in the areas and all that. It's good for the hotels and the restaurants and the wineries. And then they want to be able to ship it back to their homes. So they said it could be a good deal. So it's a, it's this pipeline thing is causing all sorts of stink up there in Canada. And Alberta and Saskatchewan do not have ports, so they have to go through B.C., British Columbia, to get to the ports. Let's do a little bit more trivia. Oh, wait a minute. What is this? I, I This is something I was going to mention here. Cabernet Franc, we talked about Malbec in Argentina. Cabernet Franc is becoming a pretty popular wine there, too. I like Cabernet Franc. That's really one of my favorites. Um, Makes up less than 1% of the country's uh, vines, but it's really starting to take hold. Uh, They 
looking at reaching more than 1,050 hectares uh, in planting of Cabernet Franc. It's one of the fastest growing categories. Um, all the wineries are now making their own Cab Franc and they're willing to uh, put it out there. It's becoming a heavyweight, they say, uh, behind Melbach. It's just the start and people are asking for it. You can uh, get it for around $10 if uh, you look for the Argentinian Cabernet Franc. They're selling for around 10 to $15 a bottle. So a good deal, good deal. Cabernet Franc is good wine. I really, really like Cabernet Franc. So uh, check it out. Tasting tips now. Uh, bourbon. Oh, a guy to Brett. I told you something about Brett last week, I think, so I'm, I don't need to. Uh, it's, I won't go into that right now. But, uh, yeah. let's do a little bit more trivia, and then we'll say goodnight. Cooking with wine, a six-day course. Uh, when it comes to using wine as an ingredient, most recipes are about as helpful as VCR programming instructions, which we don't have VCRs anymore. The fact is that the type of wine you choose to cook with matters considerably to the final success. If you're under the impression that alcohol will burn off during cooking, it does not. All right. According to research by U.S. Department of Agriculture, you must cook a food that has wine in it for at least two and a half hours for the alcohol to be reduced to 5%. If the food is baked or simmered for 15 minutes, about 40% of the alcohol will remain. So keep that in mind when you're cooking with wine. You do not, and I repeat, not cook out the alcohol. That's why the kids always sleep well at night. Bio uh, Vineyards, uh, Zimmendahl. Bio Vineyards been around for a long time. Located in Napa, California. Great wines at a reasonable price. Uh, Zimmendahl. Uh, got boysenberry, briar, mulberry flavors, a splash of vanilla at the end. Uh, great with pot roast or something like that. Uh, around fourteen, fifteen dollars. Uh, you can't beat it, and it's all over the place. Just about any BB, a, a wine. Uh, get away from the really cheap ones and pick up some Bio Vineyard wines. Uh, you'll thank yourself for it. Uh, and let's see, let's do a couple more here. Australian wines, here's some information about Australian wines. There are now more than 1,300 wineries in Australia. Australia is one of the fastest growing wine producing countries in the world. Um, nearly 50% of Australian wine producers export their wine. Where? Great Britain and is the leading market and the United States is number two. So, Australian wines. And, okay, let's do... One more here, and then we'll close it up for tonight. California. Name was officially used in Spanish documents as early as 1542. It's believed to come from the description of a fabled island called California in the 16th century Spanish novel, The Exploits of... Esplendion. Today, that fabled island boasts a $13.5 billion wine industry, more than 1,200 wineries, and over four, uh, close to a half a million acres of grapevines. So, there you go. We are done for the night. Have yourself a wonderful week. Have yourself a wonderful Mother's Day, all of you moms out there. And uh, uh, a uh, Safe week. Don't forget all the food you can eat with all the wines and everything that uh, is available. And, uh, oops, there we go. And, again, be safe on the roads. Be safe on the highways. Mike, take care of yourself. You, uh, you're part of the part of the team, and it's, it's not good when you're not here. So we'll look forward to Hopefully Mike will be back next week. And you'll be back next week. 
That is going to be the, what, 17th? Is that right? Yeah, that's right. 17th. 17th of May. So we will see all of you next week. Have yourself a wonderful week. Be safe out there and drink lots of wine. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.